Well, I mentioned to you that we're going to be beginning, we're going to be beginning a summer series this week. It's only going to last four weeks, but I'm taking a break from Mark because I want to address an issue that I think would help us serve better, all right? And one of the goals at First Family is to, on a regular basis, week after week, we want to celebrate, grow, and serve. Right, just one of the things we do is kind of in our DNA. But I've been uh, intrigued that one of the ways that God equips us to serve is through spiritual gifts. And what I've been intrigued about is that often spiritual gifts are one of the most misunderstood and confusing topics or concepts in the local church. In fact, even as I use that phrase just now, spiritual gifts, some of you may be wondering, what in the world is he talking about? I've never heard that. Or, as I said, spiritual gifts, some of you thought of one end of a spectrum that to you seems kind of crazy, like, oh, those those weird people who say weird things and they claim this and that and the other. And some of you may have thought the other spectrum, like, oh, we don't think any of those things actually exist. In other words, across the board, there's just a lot of perhaps unintentional and unnecessary confusion about this idea of spiritual gifts, which by definition, I would say, are just divine enablements graciously given by God for the benefit of the church and his glory. And there's a list of them in scripture. It may not be exhaustive. It could be. There's a lot of talk about that. But they are just basically divine enablements. They're not necessarily just natural talents. They're not just that you're good at something. But there's something the Holy Spirit gives you a supernatural power to do for the glory of God and the good of the church. So that topic, it's, and that, that enablement is called a spiritual gift. And so that topic, I think, I want to kind of delve into that for about four weeks. Not that I'm the answer man, because I myself still have a ton of questions. It's been, for me, in years of ministry, one of those things where you just sometimes look at it and you wonder how they arrived there and what you think about this and what do you believe about that. And So we're going to kind of talk about it with the, with the prayer that God would bring us some simplicity and clarity from his word. Maybe we'll not rely so much on what other people say about it, but we'll just go right to God's word and say, hey, what does God's word say about this, okay? So our series is going to be called For the Common Good, Spiritual Gifts Plain and Simple, and that's our goal for four weeks. We'll look at the unity of the gifts, the variety of the gifts. We'll look at the profitability of the gifts. And the last week, we're going to take all three of these ideas from Scripture, and we're going to kind of put them into one kind of like, what do I do next kind of uh, sermon. So that's what's ahead, and I want to start by looking at what I call the the knockout verse concerning spiritual gifts. In other words, if if you had to take someone to one place in the Bible where you could say, here's the best, succinct, single explanation of spiritual gifts, where would it be? I would take you to 1 Corinthians 12, 7. So open your Bibles to that chapter, would you? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. And this, again, is what I call the knockout verse of spiritual gifts. It's on the screen behind me. It's in your Bible as well, hopefully on your phone, whatever you're using. And I want us to see, first of all this morning, this singular verse. Then we'll back out and see the paragraph. And then we'll even look at the larger context to see really how this verse is just being repeated over and over to drive home its main point. Let's see if I can show that to you and make a case this morning for the unity of the gifts and really what's behind and in each of them, all right? Here's this singular verse, this knockout verse of spiritual gifts 
the place I would take someone if I just had one verse and one sentence to use. It says this, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, would you read that with me together? Here we go. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. You're going to find three elements in there. You're going to find, first of all, the idea of there's the, the unity of the gifts. They're all from the Spirit. In fact, the gift here is called manifestation of the Spirit. It's not called manifestation of Todd. It's not called manifestation of Sean, Bob, Brandon. It may come through a gift that God gives us that we exercise, but the point is not to manifest to me. The point is to manifest whom? The Spirit. So it's about the Spirit. It's from the Spirit. This is really the unity that we see in this verse, and you'll see it in the context as well, that, that, the, that the real idea of the spiritual gift, watch this now, follow me closely here, is not the second word in the label. The real punch of a spiritual gift is not the second word in the label. It's not the gift. The real punch in the word is the word spiritual, that they're coming from and all about God. And one of the things I think I find frustrating is that we make it more about the second word in the label, the gift. Man, you can find a thousand ways to find your gift and test to take. And I don't think those are bad, but it seems like sometimes they get our focus on the gift, not so much on the giver. And his focus here, as you'll see in a minute, is that it's really about the spirit behind the gift. That's why it's called a what? Spiritual gift. It's a manifestation of the spirit. Interesting thing about the word manifestation here. We draw our word fluorescent from this original Greek word manifest. So when you think about something is brought to light or it's made manifest or it's like easily visible now, it comes from this word manifestation. So the point is, a spiritual gift is when the Spirit's work, when God's power is now suddenly easily visible. It comes to light. It's seen. That's the unity of the gifts. God's power clearly seen. Someone said this one time, it's, it's God going public. And suddenly we begin to realize, here's the power of God. Here's God just clear and visible, manifest. So there's unity in this verse about the gifts. They're from and about God. But there's also variety here. Look at the first phrase. To each is given. So this singular idea that every person is given one or more spiritual gifts. They're all from God. They're all about God. They're designed to display God and his power. But there are a variety of them. And he lists them here, at least some of them, and he talks about variety, and that's good because we are all of different varieties, aren't we? We're wired different, different personalities, different um, backgrounds, and so God gifts us in a variety of ways, which is helpful. So here's the idea of variety and unity, and then the last phrase speaks of its profitability. You see, spiritual gifts are aimed at displaying the power of God in a variety of ways, yes, but for 
the benefit of the whole, for the good of the church. This phrase, for the common good, is actually one word in the original language. And if you were to take the root of this word, you would find that it is the same as the root of our word symphony, in which you have a variety of instruments, right? But they're all brought together, and then they're experienced or, or, or showcased for the good of those who are listening. Yes, there's a lot of different types of instruments, but they all make one beautiful sound and everyone benefits. So you've got to begin to get the picture that spiritual gifts, they're, they're God going public, God's power on display, but for the good of the church. Not just for the good of an individual. Not so that one person is celebrated or seen or lifted up, or even one segment, but that the church at large benefits the common good. That's why I love this knockout verse. It just has so much theology packed into it about this topic of spiritual gifts. They're given through the Spirit, therefore God. They're given in their variety to believers, but they're aimed at the church at large. This is really the most succinct way to describe a spiritual gift. 1 Corinthians 12, 7. Now, maybe you're saying, well, Todd, is this understanding kind of supported by, by where this sentence is tucked in? In other words, does the paragraph lean into the same three elements of variety, unity, profitability? Are those themes coming through in the context? Let's take a look and see. I contend that they are. Let me show you what I mean. Look at your Bibles. Let's look at the paragraph where this verse is found. Begins in verse 4 with the word now. Works its way down. I believe the paragraph officially ends at the end of verse 26. We're only going to go through about verse 11. But notice what he does here. He, he actually tackles again the idea of variety and unity and profitability. In fact, I would say this to you that this chart behind me shows you in, in one sense kind of how I see this paragraph being formed. I think verse 7 is kind of the peak of the paragraph. And if you were to ask me, in that one sentence, is there a particular point that is the peak? You like these P words, right? I think the phrase, for the common good, is the actual tipping point of the peak in which the author is saying this. God gives all kinds of variety through one means, his unified spirit, so that at the very end of the day, we can say that, man, the church is better for it. Does that kind of make sense? We're kind of trekking up this mountain. The real peak, the point of the peak is, man, the church is better for it when God gifts his church in a variety of ways, through a variety of gifts, through one spirit. So unity, variety, but at the end, it's profitability. Let me show you how I think this plays out in this paragraph. Look at verse 4. There are varieties of gifts, aren't there? But the what? Say it with me. Same spirit. You see that? Variety, unity. There are varieties of service, but the, say it with me, same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but the, say it with me, same God. So already in verses 4, 5, and 6, before he even gets to 7, he's talking about variety, unity. And then he restates them in 7 by saying this, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. This is the real peak of the paragraph in which we see variety, unity, and profitability. Let's keep going. Let me show you this further proved in 8 through 11. 
in verse 8, he kind of expands on variety by listing here nine spiritual gifts. Now, I'm not here today to debate if these exist or if they don't. I'm not here to define them. That'll be all next week, okay? I'm here to focus on the unity behind all these gifts. But here are nine that Paul lists. He says, to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge, to another faith, to another gifts of healing, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, and to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. And notice within that list of nine gifts, how often he uses the word spirit, doesn't he? Through the spirit, to another by the same spirit, to another by the one spirit. So in verse 11, he sums this up well. He says, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Even in verse 11, you see unity and variety, don't you? He's apportioned these gifts to each one, and yet they're all empowered by one and the same spirit. So you can take verse 7 and say, okay, here's the knockout verse on spiritual gifts. It shows unity, variety, and profitability. But if you even back that out a bit, you see those same three elements coming through in the paragraph in which this verse is tucked. Now let me just press pause and ask you to stay in overdrive for a minute and notice something quite intriguing that we see in the context. Look at verse 4 with me, would you? He says that there are, first of all, there are varieties of gifts. Do you see that? And he connects gifts to the same what? Spirit. Gifts is the word charisma. A root of this word is the word grace. And so we know that spiritual gifts are not earned. They're not merited. They're not purchased. They're simply graciously bestowed upon us as the Spirit sovereignly determines. And he gives them out. I believe, based upon uh, God's will, of course, but the need of the moment, the Spirit will gift us for what we need in order for the church to be benefited and edified. So it's, it's this idea of charisma given through the Spirit. Look at the next phrase. There are varieties of service, but the same, what's the next word? Lord. It's the word kurios. It's connected to the idea of service, which is diakonos. Now watch this. I think it's in, to, in the Lord's service. That's a little larger category. It's in that service that we use spiritual gifts. So I think these three things work in congruence and in sequence. It's my personal opinion. What's the last one here? There are a variety of what? Activities, verse 6 says, but the same God. That's the word energy. Activities or results or effects or outcomes. And who empowers those? The verse says it's the same God, theos. Now watch this. Each person has one or more spiritual gift or gifts that they employ in the service of the Lord. And as they do, God gives the results. Do you follow that? How they work in sequence and in tandem, in, in congruence. That's what's happening here. So he's showing that there's variety here. Yeah, there's different charisma, all in service of the Lord, all empowered and given a result by God. But yet behind it is this idea of the same God, the same Spirit, the same Lord. 
In fact, verse 6 says this, this God, this Lord, this Spirit's empowering them all. That sounds very similar to verse 11. Look with me at verse 11. All these are empowered. It's the same word as in verse 6. Do you notice that? Same word energy or result or effect. But in verse 11, and I love this uh, unique kind of uh, very direct reference to the deity of the Holy Spirit. He says all of these gifts are empowered by one and the same, say it with me, spirit. But in verse 6, he said these were empowered by what? God. What's he saying? The Spirit is God. So do you see what he's driving at in this text? It's not really, we see variety, but the point of this paragraph isn't the variety of the gifts, which is what we tend to do in our discussions. We keep someone to talk about all the different gifts and which one do I have and who am I and how can I use it and help me take the test and figure it out. But at least when he starts the discussion on spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, he does not begin Primarily with variety, he begins foundationally with unity. That behind every single gift is the one Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Spirit. He is empowering them all. And I think some of our struggle with variety is that we forget behind the variety is unity. We end up looking at the people side of it sometimes. Well, they're like this and they're like that and why do they do that and why are they like that and they're not like me and so that frustrates us and I'm kind of confessing here, okay? Uh, that kind of frustrates us and, you know, all that's going on and our, our, our mind, our vision our, our, is fixed in the wrong aspect. The variety and diversity is a great thing for the body. But if that's what's got your attention, you will find yourself frustrated because you're like me. You probably think you do it better than most, Right? Your way's the best way. Your highway's the only way to get there. Come on, folks. Don't leave me rowing this boat alone. Come on. <laughs> if you're married, you've been in this situation, haven't you? Yeah, we all struggle with that, thinking, you know, you kind of got the edge on something or that you know how it should work. If that's all you're focused on, you'll find that your selfishness, your tendency to want to control, it'll cripple you. What we should focus on first is that behind all of the variety is the unity that the Trinitarian God is gifting his church for the good of everyone. Can I bring a little further cement to where I've placed your feet? I think not only in that verse are those three things seen, and not only in this paragraph are those three things seen. I think in this first set of 26 verses it's seen. Look at verses 1 through 3 of this chapter. Just keep our nose in the book a little bit longer. You see chapter 12 verse 1? He says, now concerning spiritual gifts. Do you see that? That's actually not the same word as in verse 4 when he says there are varieties of gifts. It's not the same word. In fact, some of your translations will have a note by it. Some of them may say spiritual things. Some may say spiritual men. The point is this. The word in verse 1 of chapter 12 is pneumatikon. It means things about or from the spirit in general. Spiritual things is a good translation. In verse 4, he's saying within that category, in that realm, there are actual gifts by the spirit. So do you see what he's doing? He's saying that, guys, uh, this whole topic of spiritual gifts is actually one that's under the realm of things about the Holy Spirit. Again, 
He's talking about unity. That's his point. His major emphasis is that there's unity in all this variety. And I think he ends it in verse 25 by showing that when these are utilized correctly, you can skip over there and look at that, then there's no, there's no division, there's no schism. The body has care for each other. That's profitability repeated again like it is in verse 7. So I think I can bring a lot of weight to the idea that these are three themes that run through spiritual gifts. Unity, variety, profitability. But what one theme must begin our understanding and discussion? It must be what he does in chapter 12, verse 1, and again in chapter 4, 12, verses 4 through 11. Bring us back to that all of this variety has as its foundation the same spirit, the same Lord, the same God. That's what he's really after. So when you consider this, I think you have to, there's a couple of observations you're kind of left to grapple with. One is, we obviously believe in a Trinitarian God. So spiritual gifts, some people look at as more like this practical, you know, street level, shoe leather kind of like topic. I would say it's much bigger than that. I think spiritual gifts is highly theological. They are divine enablements that come, and I'll use this phrase, through the three-in-one God. Powerful moments when the presence of God is seen, it goes public, it's on display, and it's all done by the Trinity. I don't understand the Trinity totally. It's this... uh, Ocean will swim in forever. But this three-in-one God is behind the gifts. It's his power that's on display. That's right. It's his character that's going public. Yes. So that's, we have to, first of all, just kind of grapple with, wow, spiritual gifts are Trinitarian by nature, and so we understand them best when we understand that, that this is a Trinitarian issue. One God in three persons gifting his church for the good of all of us. You have to also wrestle with this. If that's the case, then how is it that God, who empowers them all, then it says the Spirit empowers them all. How do I separate these so I can understand them humanly? Let me see if I can help you with that. When we talk about the Trinity, the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, is the personage of the Trinity by which God exhibits, now watch this, by which God exhibits and puts on display his power. All right? I can give you some biblical proof of this. We'll begin with creation. The Bible says that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And so when God spoke through the Son, who is the agent of creation as well, John chapter 1, it was through the means of the Spirit of God that the power was released for creation to occur. Okay? Let's move to the virgin birth, where Mary is impregnated. The writer tells us that it was the angel who said that the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. So how is the power of God put on display for nine months in a virgin's womb? 
the Holy Spirit of God. It's the avenue, it's the agent by which God the Father puts on public display, visible, manifest way, his power. You follow me so far? We can move to Pentecost. When in the upper room were gathered several <coughs> believers who were told to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. They did wait, and then God gave them his power. But how did he do that? It wasn't some magical you know, uh, aura. It wasn't a, a cloud. It wasn't some chant. It was actually the third person of the Trinity indwelling them, the Holy Spirit. He gave them the Holy Spirit so that they would have power to witness. What was the agent, the avenue of power? It was the third person of the Trinity. Here's what I'm saying to you guys. When we talk about God's active or manifest presence, we're not saying that God isn't present prior to that. God is always present. Wouldn't you agree? He's omnipresent. That's a theological uh, uh, fact about God. But you don't always see God's omnipresence, do you? No, you don't. But you know he always is and exists. That's why in the Bible he's called the great I am. He's not called the great I was or the great I will be. What's God called? The great I am. So he always is. And by the way, this is an impossible task to explain God. So I'm even struggling now and with, a, with a finite language to describe an infinite God. That's why the words I am are so beautiful. So no matter what century you're in, God just is. The big word for that is transcendent. I'm just overwhelmed right now with a, with a God that big, you know. He just is. He was, he was is when Moses was. And he'll be is when my grandkids have grandkids. Nothing in God's economy is really past or present. It's always in the present. He's omnipresent. He just is. He's amazing. It's, it's, un, it's unthinkable. That's God. He is the great I am. So God's omnipresent, but how does, how does God's omnipresence, how is it ever seen? Is through what we call his active or manifest presence. And that comes via, through the avenue or agent of the Holy Spirit. So in the Bible, when you see God's active presence, his manifest presence, it, you'll see the Holy Spirit's involved. The baptism of Jesus. When he's anointed for ministry, the Holy Spirit descends like a dove. And by the way, though you would attest to all those biblical accounts and wouldn't need any more proof because the Bible proves it, can I just bring you a practical area of proof? Every one of you have experienced the active presence of God through the Holy Spirit when you were born again. Because John 3, 7 says this, that no one is born again except by the power of the Spirit of God. Do you know that? So that means that at the moment you were saved, and every ear listening, every eye watching, at the moment you were saved, it wasn't you seeking after God in some way that you kind of forced his hand. It wasn't you discovering some truth that no one's ever heard about and that suddenly because of your ingenious uh, ability to figure something out, no, it was God's Spirit moving upon you and opening your eyes to see the beautiful light of the glorious gospel of Jesus. You, and that God, on your behalf, would pay your sin debt through Christ. And God's Spirit peeled back the blinders from your eyes. He opened your chest cavity and he said, look at Jesus. Amen. Thank 
That's what the Holy Spirit of God did. At that moment, you trusted, you believed, you responded, and you were saved. That's the active, manifest presence of God. And how did it occur? The Holy Spirit of God. In fact, let's just be clear about what this church believes. No one is ever saved apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. So can I just, uh, I've already pressed pause once. Can I press it again and just ask you, have you had your eyes opened by the power of the Holy Spirit to believe in the beautiful good news that Jesus forgives sinners? I don't know who all's in this room exactly, but I guess there are people in this room that maybe you've had a lot of spiritual things happen in your life lately. Maybe you've been coming here for a few weeks and you know that your appetites are changing. Like you have this desire to, to get into the word and you have this desire to fellowship with other Christians and, and you find that there's something happening inside but you're not sure what because you had not really heard about the gospel much. You don't really go to church much. But, but you came and you heard. And looking back, you realize that at some point in that message in, of, of Christ dying for sinners, you said, God, I believe that. And now you can't figure out what's going on in your life. Like, I, I'm finding changes happening. and It's still a struggle. It's hard. But I'm finding I've got a whole new heart about these things. Can I say to you what's probably going on and what I think is happening is God called out to you and you responded and he saved you. And there are people in our church today who are um, years after they've been saved would say to you, you know what? I remember the season of life I got saved because I was crying out to God and he heard me and he saved me. But I was so new, I didn't even know what to call it at that point. I didn't really know what was happening. I just knew I needed God's power in my life. I trusted him through the gospel and I said, God, I believe that. And he began to change me. There are people in this room right now I could, I could take you to who would say, yeah, Todd, I remember I came to you and I said, hey, what's going on in my life? We sat down with the Bible and it looks like God has saved you. You're like, that's exactly what happened. Now, not everyone's that way. Some folks, clarity from day one, but there are folks. And um, can I say this? They almost stumble across the gospel because the Holy Spirit of God is drawing them to the cross. So I want to speak to all anyone here whose life is undergoing this kind of Holy Spirit compelled, propelled kind of change. Like, man, what's happening to me? It may be, very well could be, that in your hearing of the gospel, you've cried out for God to save you, to, to help you, and he did. The Holy Spirit of God opened your eyes, and you're undergoing incredible transformation. You've been born again, been saved, and I think now realizing, oh, so that's what they call it. Like you'd say, yeah, I knew something was different, something was happening. Yeah, it's called being saved, being born again. Then there are those here who would admittedly say, I'm, I know I'm not a Christian. I pray, I pray every Sunday that any curious seeker who comes knowing that they're not born again would have that incredible moment when they realize, wow, I'm no longer seeking. I'm now receiving. And John 1.12 says, for as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. So I don't know where you're on that spectrum, but can I challenge you and interact with you in a humble, kind way, pastor to congregant, 
If you're seeing changes happen or if you need to see changes happen, they're not brought about by human power. They're not brought about by your human will, by your uh, forced effort. They are only brought about by the Holy Spirit of God. He births every single one of us into his family and only him. And until he does, we're not birthed into God's family. That's what we need. That's when his active presence, that's one of the ways his active presence is seen in our life. So those are two things to grapple with. These things called spiritual gifts, they're, I've unpressed pause now. We're back to spiritual gifts. They're Trinitarian, yes. But they're also God's manifest active presence. So we should, as it said in these texts, in these chapters, we'll get to them in the next couple of weeks, this is why we should earnestly desire spiritual gifts. We should seek spiritual gifts. Why? Not for the gift. We should earnestly seek them. We should desire them because that's when God's power shows up. That's when God goes public. That's his presence on display. And that's what we need. We need God's power. We don't need manufactured labels. Preacher, pastor, teacher. These aren't bad words, but if they're only done in the power of a human being, mercy shower, knowledge, wisdom. You can take these words. If they're only done in a human way, like, well, I'm a smart dude. I'll be a wisdom giver. We don't need that. We don't need just a, a man-made preacher. You don't need a human-driven teacher. Whether it's in third grade or in the pulpit here, sixth grade or a youth worker. We don't need mercy givers and Whatever the gift is, we don't need those just with a human label with some man or woman behind them driving it with their own energy because you know what that is? That's just a, uh, a waste of time. Yeah, it accomplishes nothing. Instead, give us a people of God who long and desire His power. So that when the gift is used, it's the manifestation of the Spirit. It's from God and about God. You see, really spiritual gifts, the unity about them is that in their source and in their showing, they're all about the Trinitarian God. They're empowered by the Spirit in the service of the Son for the glory of God. Let's put this in a single sentence we can grasp and then get out of here today. Can we do that? Here's how I'd say it too in a single sentence. That a thoroughly Trinitarian understanding of spiritual gifts unites us around this single wonder. Notice what I'm saying here. I want us united around something. Before we get into the variety aspect and before we debate one another, <laughs> before we disagree and show our preferences and differences, Agreeably, yes, but before all that happens, what can we unite around? 
this single wonder. It's God in the gifts, not just God and the gifts. And I think this text has really taught me and showed me this. And I've often seen gifts like this. Here's God, and he just kind of gives you the gifts. Jody, go at it. Go use it. And it's almost as if, and we don't mean this intentionally, it's almost as if we, you know, Jody's on her own now. She's going to go and use her gift or gifts. God's going to applaud and be thankful. After all, he gave them to her, but, you know, he's kind of like watching Jody do her thing. This text says that actually when, when Jody is operating in her spiritual gifts, it's the manifestation of the Spirit. It's God going public through how he's empowered her. God's not back here giving her a gift and there's this dualistic kind of deistic separation. God is actually in the gift. And through the Holy Spirit, he's empowering her to to go public with his power. It's a life changer. So it's not just God and the gifts. Are you with me? It's God in the gifts. That's why This is so beneficial for the whole church. That's why it's for the common good. Because what do we need? No offense, Jody. We don't just need Jody, right? And me. You don't just need me. We need something far bigger and greater and better. You need God. I need God. So we need gifts that aren't just Jody doing what she does because God gave them to her and he's back here watching. We need gifts because God's in the gifts. And his power is seen and displayed and visible and manifest. They're fluorescently seen. God's visible when the gifts are in operation by his Spirit's power. So for every compelling addiction that's about to choke you, for every person here trying to piece together a crumbling marriage. For every person here feeling the weight of their condemning unbelief. To all those and more. I don't want to give you a gift while God watches. I want to give you God in the gift released among his people. The manifest, active presence of God. That's why we crave and seek for spiritual gifts. Because the unity, the one behind and in them all, is this incredible three-in-one God. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more messages, visit firstfamily.church forward slash sermons or subscribe to our podcast feed. Thanks for listening.